Greetings, Earthlings and space-time travelers. Welcome to another episode of Summit to Soul Mountain, a place on Earth where I dive into topics around health and wellness and traverse the mountain of life to reach soul potential. I'm joined on the trail today with the one and only Ryan Sprague, a true motherfucking gangster. Not only does Ryan have one of the coolest names in the galaxy, Ryan is the founder and co-owner of Highly Optimized, a company dedicated to helping humans become the absolute best version of themselves and guide the conscious leaders of Earth the Earth realm is in need of. Ryan is the host of Highly Optimized Podcast, this one time on Psychedelics Podcast, and the co-creator of the Connect with Cannabis program, all of which I highly recommend checking out. They're super fun. Ryan and I met through a men's retreat led by the Epic Brothers of Ice and Iron, a health and wellness community located in the Boston, Massachusetts area which Ryan co-facilitated and led a gang through cannabis ceremony, one that dissected my relationship of cannabis and transformed me in many ways. There's so much I could say about this beautiful creature. For now, I'll leave it to the conversation ahead to bring out those lovely aspects. Welcome, and thank you for joining me on the trail. Dude, great intro, bro. Game recognized game, son. That was awesome. Dude, the intros are so fun, dude. Like I have an illegal amount of fun with writing the intros <laughs> out. And so to see you picking that up too, dude, it's so much fun, dude. And you slayed it. So yeah, that was amazing, Thanks. dude. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's great to, to dive in and to get to understand, you know, and then to to share how I, you know, kind of see and, and perceive you and, and yeah. get to re reciprocate that back. So yeah, dude, beautiful reflections, man. You know, it's, you know, I think there's a big thing here too with, you know, we never really know how we're received by other people. And I think a lot of the times I know for me anyway, and I imagine many of your listeners too, you know, if we don't get that positive affirmation from others, we can get lost in the sauce of judgment and shadow coming up and those kind of things. And so I think that it's human nature to, you know, need reflection from other people, both positive and constructive, you know, to be able to understand like, you know, who we are, because mm -hmm. when we are ourselves, we don't really know like what our strengths are, what our weaknesses might be, we might know what the weaknesses are. But like, you know, a lot of us, it's, it's hard to tap in and take ownership over the value we give. And so being able to have those reflections helps me a lot. And that's one of the things that I found is so powerful in podcasts, especially when I know the person I'm podcasting with already to be able to reflect on those kind of experiences and just hear it from someone else. It's amazing, dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it really shows, you know, it's, it's a different perception of, of being validated when you, yes. you know, being validated is, is a lot <laughs> of times like, you know, ego gets involved in stuff, but seeing, seeing that and hearing that from somebody in a, in a positive way is, is, is really cool. Yeah. You know, I think being validated gets a bad rap, you know, if you're seeking it right and you're needy about it. Okay. I think that's when, you know, one could say you're externalizing your power onto the world around you to validate you for who you are. But I think when you're rooted in who you are and you're expanding and you're learning and all of these things, and then someone goes, Hey, this is what you did for me. And you're like, Oh shit, that's really cool. Let me like dive into that a little deeper then, you know, and like maybe they say a nugget that, you know, allows you to be like, whoa, I didn't realize that that's what I'm doing and how I'm being received. That's really cool. You know, and I think that in relationships, romantic relationships, I think this is a really cool exercise to do. You know, I do it monthly with Rachel where we just reflect on how we're receiving one another, you know, and sometimes it's purely positive. Sometimes it's constructive. Like, hey, when I'm asking you these kind of like a perfect example is like, you know, for men that are listening, you'll understand this well. What do we do when our woman or our love interest starts sharing about a challenge they're going through? We think, oh my God, time to fix it. 
right? And it comes from the best of intentions. But one of the things Rachel and I have done is, you know, if I start noticing her vent, I'll, I'll stop her in the middle and go, Hey, I just want to make sure that I'm showing up for the way, you know, in the way that you want me to, is this, this more of an offload? You just need an ear or would you like advice on this? And then she can tell me what she wants. And then I know I'm coming forth with exactly what she wants. And I think for a lot of people, they just try to guess and they, they almost like, you know, I'll put it in my perspective anyway, to make it more personal for me. Like I thought a lot of the time, like if I ask, it's kind of like awkward and whatnot, but it's not, you know, like I found that like, it's so powerful because that person then is like, wow, okay, cool. This person is really interested in like, not just responding the way they think they should respond, but like they're interested in responding in the way that's going to be most conducive for us figuring this thing out or them helping me in the situation, et cetera. And so I think like that healthy communication is so key in a relationship too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Un understanding is a lot easier when you just ask questions yeah. and you, know, you can, you can be more clear and it just, it just makes everything better. Yeah, man. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you go to get ice cream and you keep seeing the sprinkles and then you keep getting mad when you get an ice cream cone and they don't give you sprinkles, but you're not asking for the sprinkles. Well, whose fault is it? Right. Is it the person giving you the ice cream that doesn't know you want sprinkles or is it your fault for not asking for the damn sprinkles that you want? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Um, so cannabis, man, cannabis has got a lot of good reputation and a lot of bad reputation um especially with you know today there's a lot of states that are recreationally legalizing it and um it's been medical for a, you know quite a while now and and most of the states and unfortunately not federally which is just absolutely crazy <laughs> um so i just wanted to kind of get your understanding of your relationship and your perspective on on the plant and how highly optimized cultivates around cannabis yeah great question man and one of the funniest things for people listening that might not be aware is you know the federal government says that the reason that cannabis is illegal federally is because it's schedule one and schedule one essentially means there's no medicinal value and so you might hear that and go, well, that might be their perception or whatever, right? But it's not because they actually own a patent on cannabis as a neuroprotectant agent. And so think about that for a second, right? Like the federal government is saying this has no medicinal value, except the medicinal value that made us take out a patent because it's a neuroprotective agent. So, you know, I think a lot of the times, you know, I'm, I'm obviously big in psychedelic world and things like that. You know, I'm a fan of saying that you really don't need any psychedelics these days to have a psychedelic experience. You think of things like that and you're like, I feel like I have to be tripping to understand that. You know, it's like, it's so bananas and backwards. And I think this is not to get on the side tangent, but we can get into this later if you want. The, the, the importance right now in society of taking accountability and radical ownership for your own experience of life and not allowing other people to tell you what so-and-so is, whether it's cannabis, you know, Kratom that we were talking about, caffeine, um, you know, food, whatever it is, like you got to do your own research too. It's great to listen to people, but I tell everyone like, don't take anything I say as ultimate objective truth. If it resonates, look into it and try it on, right? Like you're in a dressing room, but you know, if I pass you a shirt and say, this is perfect for you, 
Are you just going to go cool and go to the register and check out? Or are you going to go try it on first and be like, eh, what do I really think about this? Right. Maybe it fits perfect. And you're like, oh, thanks for the recommendation. Or maybe in your subjective experience of life, it just doesn't. And that's okay. You know, because I don't think there's any objectiveness to reality. You know, quantum physics has proven that there is no objective reality. And so I think it's so important that we wield that power of sovereignty and take accountability for our own experience of life. Mm -hmm. And so side tangent, but of course, I wanted to go there real quick. <laughs> but I think that you know, when it comes to cannabis, you know, my story with cannabis uh, comes from what a lot of people might suspect. And that is overuse. Uh, that is patterns of dependency. But, you know, I think where, you know, and I'll get into my full story in a second, but, you know, I think where a lot of people do themselves another disservice, and this ties right back into what I was saying before, is that they externalize their power onto the plant. So I made a post or a reel about this yesterday, where I was saying, I personally do not believe cannabis is addictive. And I honestly don't believe anything is inherently addictive. I feel like that's taking the result and making it the problem. So if you feel addicted to cannabis or addicted to caffeine or really insert thing here, is it the thing that's the problem or is it the reason you're going to that thing that's the actual problem? And so I think that for me, what I realized, and I'll dive a little bit deeper into the story, but this is kind of like the caveat for the ending is what I realized was that this plant never held a gun to my head and told me to interact with it, right? I interacted with it. And at first I found something that really helped me with anxiety. But then what happened was I started numbing out from trauma, micro, you know, uh, lowercase t traumas, things like, you know, just like arguments, things like that. And capital T traumas, like my father dying in my arms, like things like that. Right. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, it's a, it's a slippery slope, right? It feels good to be able to go, oh, it's just cannabis is addictive, but it's, you know, if you're doing it there, how you do anything is how you do everything. So that means that if you're, if you're doing that there and externalizing your power, well, if you get into an argument from your partner, you're probably going to go, oh, they're an asshole. If you find someone that's, you know, leaving a bad comment on your Instagram, they're just an asshole rather than like, Hey, why do they feel that way? And let me talk to them and figure out what's going on in their world. You know? So I think it can be a slippery slope there, but to go a little deeper into my story with cannabis, so like I said, I found it when I was 16 and I had exhausted all pharmaceutical routes uh, for my social anxiety. And, you know, I won't even get into this side tangent too, but the whole labeling thing, I mean, it wasn't that I was an anxious person. I was experiencing symptoms of anxiety. And I think that's a really important disclaimer because for some people listening, you might've been put in a similar box, right? You might've been called uh, a depressed person or that you have depression. You don't have depression, you experience it, right? And they actually came out with a study recently showing that there's no chemical imbalance with so-called depression, which is kind of like the story they were giving for, you know, certain people that just have this chemical imbalance and they are depressed people. And I'm not sitting here saying that there aren't certain instances where there are chemical imbalances, there might be. But I think that at the end of the day, if you choose to get put in the box, well, then you're going to live your life through the lens of that box. And that's what started happening to me. So as someone with anxiety, I started viewing my life based on what the doctors told me was and was not possible for me. And so when I found cannabis, you know, I was just saying no, I was watching a lot of the classic lazy stoner archetype people interact with cannabis. And I knew that I was never going to interact with it until I did. And what I found was, well, I didn't randomly get lazy. I didn't randomly want to eat Cheetos. I didn't randomly drop out of school, right? Like all of those things were once again, people putting cannabis in a box. Mm -hmm. If you do this, this will happen. When in reality, that's just actually casting a spell on someone, you know, because if you're telling someone, if you do this, this will happen. Well, that's black magic, you know, as I see it. And so for me, when I got into cannabis, 
I found that if I could describe it in the language I would use today, because um, of course at 16, 17, I didn't know what I know now. And even what I know now, I just believe right now, I don't really know it, but it's what's working for me at the moment. But what I realized was that it connected me deeper to myself. And I was able to have separation from my thoughts. And in that separation, I realized, oh, I'm not my thoughts. And so therefore, I had the direct experience of what I was just laying out that I wasn't an anxious person, I didn't have anxiety, I was experiencing anxious thoughts. And therefore, those thoughts were leading to a feeling or a sensation. And that sensation, because I wasn't able to feel it fully, because I didn't know that that was a thing back then, I was taking on the story that I must just be an anxious person, that I was born wrong, you know, that all of these things happen. And so, you know, from then on, uh, you know, from that moment forward, I had that awareness, but it was a simple, small awareness. And I didn't really know what to do with it. Because again, in school, they don't teach you anything that really matters, to be completely honest, mm -hmm. at least in the Western world, if you're in a, a typical public school setting. And so from there, you know, I ended up uh, interacting with cannabis a lot. And I think for a lot of people listening, they might they might resonate with this, right? You know, I don't think it's anyone's fault necessarily that they overuse cannabis. I think that if they knew better, they would probably do better. But let's face it, there's no user manual for this plant. And that's what we sought to create with Connect with Cannabis is like, hey, if you choose to interact with this medicine, if you use discernment and decided that this medicine is something that you want to dance with, well, it helps to understand how it works, right? If you want to learn to drive a car, it helps to know the gas and brake pedal, it helps to know what the steering wheel does, it helps to know what all those letters in the shifter are and what the shifter is and how to use the turn signals and all this stuff. So essentially, like, it's almost like a lot of us are driving a car that we never even got the user manual for, and that we don't even know what driving is or what a car is or anything. And so I think for a lot of people, you know, it's just that they don't know. And if they did know, they would, they would try to do better, you know, and by doing better, I mean, being more aware of these things like, hey, am I interacting with cannabis all day, every day? Why is that happening? You know, not just like, well, you can't overdose on it. So I guess this is fine, you know, which is the advice you get in most of the industry, because I worked in there for five years professionally. And I would hear this advice and just like cringe, because I was like, I knew that wasn't right. Uh, I knew it wasn't super empowering. Um, but, you know, I digress, you know, when I got into uh, interacting with cannabis more regularly, I was around 18 and I had my, my mortality crisis at that age, which was I woke up one morning and started peeing blood, had no idea what happened. Uh, and usually I forget to actually tell people what this was. So basically what it was, was a benign cyst on my kidney <clears throat> that had broken open and it put blood in my urine. And so during that time, uh, I went to the hospital with my father and on the way there, he was like, are you interacting with drugs? Like, are you doing drugs? And I was like, no, but I am interacting with a lot of cannabis. And I saw him have a sigh of relief. And that was interesting to me because my father was never someone who was a supporter of cannabis, but he wasn't like vehemently like never, ever do it ever. He was just kind of like, don't do it, you know? And so when I saw that sigh of relief, I was like, all right, maybe this isn't going to be as big of a thing as I thought it might be when he found out. And so we went to the hospital and I started showing him a lot of the videos I was watching at that point, a lot of the research I was doing into how cannabis wasn't this thing that they had taught in Reefer Madness how, you know, it could help with all these different disorders. And so to his credit, he had no cognitive dissonance. And he just said, wow, I guess I didn't know what I didn't know. And if this works for you, you're in school, you have a job, you're fulfilling your responsibilities, you're a productive member of society, you're an adult, who am I to tell you you can't do it, right? This is what's working for you. And so, you know, from that moment forward, it actually helped us bond. And my dad was not a cannabis user, uh, not until a little bit later anyway. Um, but, you know, at that point, I was in school for psychology, but I knew that I didn't want to wear khakis the rest of my life. So I didn't exactly knew, know what I wanted to do. 
with that degree. And so I was kind of having a little small dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. And uh, I went to the Boston Freedom Rally that year, which is a uh, big public display of disobedience where everyone comes out into the green and they interact with cannabis and the cops don't usually bother you. And I was there and I heard a gentleman yelling, who wants to make butter with me? And I was like, I do. And so I walked over and he was handing out these pamphlets for a cannabis institute opening near my house. So this is one of the first times that I felt a big, strong fuck yes from my heart. And at that point, medical wasn't legalized. It was up on the ballot that year. This is like 2011. Yeah, about September of 2011. So it was on the ballot for November. And uh, so I didn't know, you know, if there was a, an industry that was going to be happening here. At that point, like, you know, it seems like forever ago, it was really only 10 years ago. But you know, the only option I knew of was like, go to Oaksterdam in California and work at a dispensary. That was pretty much it. And so when this happened, all of a sudden, I was like, Oh, my God, light bulb moment, this feels good to me. So I go home. And I asked my dad, because I was a broke college student. I'm like, Dad, could you help me with the tuition? And he goes, Yeah, I'll do one better. I'll go with you because I want to learn about this stuff, too. So I was like, sick. So we end up going to the school together. The second I walked in that door, man, it was just like there was something deep in me that was just like, again, fuck yes. And so, you know, where in school, I was always looking for like, you know, how do I skate through and get through this bullshit? Because the first two years of school are all gen eds, which I thought was ridiculous. I was just like, why did I just leave high school and pay 20,000 a year to learn math and science again when I want to be a psychologist? Didn't make any sense. So I was skating through and, uh, this was the first time that I felt really motivated to give something my all, you know, in terms of a career thing, I giving a tar my all and different hobbies. But this is the first time that I was like, I'm going to be the first one in last one out every single day, I'm going to ask them to intern for them work for them, etc. So we end up going to the school, I end up interning for them, I end up working for them. And, uh, you know, in all this time, I'm learning everything about organic regenerative agriculture, Korean natural farming, mixing organic soils, the science of cannabis, the medical application of it, the physio, uh, the physiological aspects of it, just everything and meeting so many fucking cool people too, that are still some of my really dear friends. And so, uh, you know, around this time, this is now 2014, uh, they had moved to a bigger location, they were growing fast, uh, pardon the pun. And uh, so I went to my first music festival, Electric Daisy Carnival, Las Vegas. And I at this, at this point, I had not interacted with anything else except cannabis and, uh, and tobacco. And so I went out there and my friends that I always went to raves with and clubs with, you know, they had never done MDMA. And so they were like, why don't we do it for our first time out here? And so something in me just said, yeah, do it. Like, you know, just try it out. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up trying it. And it was beautiful, amazing experience for anyone who's listening. Um, you know, I'll never say I recommend things. But if you guys have tried it, you know what I mean? It's amazing. Uh, it can be anyway. Um, and so during the base nectar set, uh, I'm sitting there just like feeling all sorts of just amazingness. And all of a sudden, I feel this click into my heart. And, uh, and I had like done some research on MDMA, because of course, I was you know, always nervous of like, I was going to like mess my body up or mess my brain up. And I bought into the propaganda of MDMA, putting holes in your brain and all this stuff. So I'd done some research. And at that point, uh, realized that maybe just maybe I had been lied to uh, about MDMA as well. Now, I'm not here to say that MDMA cannot do damage. It can if you overuse it, but it's not what they were telling us, basically. Turn, turns out that those studies were based off of meth. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guys, 
Yeah. It's like, guys, did you test your stuff? Like, come on. Like, <laughs> like, you know, Wooks are testing their stuff. Like you couldn't even do it for a fucking, you know, a study. Right. So, you know, I'm there in the middle of the crowd and I feel this heart pull towards my father. And so I'm in Las Vegas, his favorite thing, you know, that we would do together. Um, you know, we would go on trips to Mohegan Sun and Foxwoods. My dad was like a uh, functioning gambler. And what I mean by that is he wasn't like, you know, like risking the house or anything like that. But that was his like release. You know, he didn't drink. He didn't smoke. A couple of times a year, we'd go to the casino and he'd always come back winning. He was amazing at gambling. But so I figured, oh, well, I'm in Las Vegas. You know, I know my dad would want to be here. We're going to steakhouses. That's like my dad and I's ritual. And so I figured I just chalked it up to that. So I have a great experience. I go home nine days later, I figure out my dad was diagnosed with cancer and not just any cancer, but brain cancer and it's terminal. And so, uh, you know, when I figured that out, my dad and I were obviously really close. I'm really close to both my parents. And so, you know, it was really hard for me to connect with him because he didn't want to be seen as a sick guy. I didn't want to see him as the sick guy, but like, obviously that's a big challenge. You know, like, how do I accept the fact that my dad is going to die of cancer and I didn't expect it was going to be this way. It shouldn't be right now. All of these could have, should have, would is coming up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he had just finished up a stint of bringing his brother to Dana Farber in Boston for three years for chemo and radiation. So, you know, he knew that he didn't want to go through those treatments. He saw what it did to my, uh, his brother, my uncle. And he was just like, I'm not going to fucking do that. And so I knew at that point that, you know, I was going to lose my father, that he was not going to be around much longer. And so I had a choice to make. And in that moment, I chose uh, what I'm very grateful I chose, which was, you know, I could either love him for who he was, you know, the person that loved Coca-Cola, loved eating bad food, but was my dad and loved me. Or what I could do is I could try to make him the version of him that I thought he should be to beat this disease. And so, you know, he was interested in starting to eat healthier and things like that, but he wasn't going to quit smoking cigarettes. He wasn't going to like really go into it. And I knew that. And he knew that. So it was like, why am I going to fucking try to force this? I'm just going to enjoy the time I have left with him. So after about a couple of weeks, and I didn't know at that point, they'd only given him two months to live. He didn't tell me that until later. But, uh, and at that point it's, it's weird, right? Cause like, here's your dad. He looks exactly like he always has. You don't see him looking sick. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like really hard to like, you know, capitulate that, you know, right. in a way. And so, so basically after a couple of weeks, he starts experiencing some pain. And so I start telling him, dad, why don't we start using RSO? And what RSO is, is Rick Simpson oil for any of your listeners that haven't heard about it. It's a concentrated form of cannabis that has been shown to uh, shrink cancer, uh, shrink tumors and kill cancer. And for anyone who's like, I don't know about that, go on PubMed and look up THC killing cancer cells and CBD inhibiting their growth. Uh, there's a lot of research out about this. And when we went to the school together, we had met people like in person that had come to the Institute because they had got diagnosed with cancer. So they come there not knowing anything about cannabis, but, you know, understanding that, hey, this could help. And because at that point, medical was now fully, you know, fully happening. And doctors were starting to like, you know, under the radar, be like, hey, you should look into cannabis. Because uh, again, Big Pharma does not want this information out there. And so we had met them. And then three to six months later, they come in with their scans again. And there's no tumors. I'm looking at their scan, no tumors. Now, I'm not saying cannabis is a panacea and that you can continue eating terribly and being stressed out and it will heal you. Uh, they were getting their life in order. You know, they were eating healthier. They were exercising, getting better sleep, et cetera, and using cannabis to stop the cancer. And so, you know, we get them on RSO. And at that point, him and I were cultivating together too. This is kind of how this all started. I forgot to throw that in there was 
you know, when I went to cannabis school, uh, about three months before I had finally talked him into buying me a grow kit. And so we had started cultivating, we were terrible at it. And so when I mentioned the school, then he was like, well, hey, this is something you want to do, you can learn more about growing cool. So at this point, we've been cultivating for a couple of years together. And so we took the final harvest that we grew together, made in the RSO, and I started uh, giving him treatments of it. And so during this time, I would sit with him because again, here's someone who's never interacted with cannabis, mm -hmm. interacting with the strongest form of cannabis in the world. So I would sit with him to make sure he was comfortable and that he didn't have any questions. And during that time, you know, is when I really discovered the true power of cannabis as a connection medicine. And another way to say connection is love. And another way to say love is God. And if God's charged for anyone listening, think of source, universe, whatever you want to call it, quantum realm, whatever. But in reality, this medicine can tap us so deep into our innate nature as human beings and as God as human beings, that when I was sitting with my father during these times, I got to hear stories that I had never heard before about his childhood. I got to watch him have closure with his grandchildren, with his other children, with me, with my mother and with his own mortality. And it was in those moments that really like that initial pull that I felt when I entered the school of like, fuck yes, became like a fuck yes, like such a deep unlocking of like just something within me that was like, this is my passion, like this is what I'm going to get out to the world. And so we ended up prolonging his life 10 extra months, uh, he ended up living until June of the next year. And he was diagnosed like July 9th. So it was very like close to a full year after. And the doctors were shocked. Uh, he did slow his cancer growth quite a bit through his scans. Um, but it had already, you know, by the time he discovered what it was, it was already metastasized all throughout his body. And so we knew that the chances were slim, but I got those extra 10 months of my father that I don't know if I ever would have gotten if it weren't for cannabis. And it wasn't just that it wasn't just time. It was what happened in that time. You know, there was so much that happened that just like really helped me get closure, you know, and it's why I'm able to talk about this stuff now. And of course, it's still emotional, but I'm able to really be grateful for that experience because in my father's passing, you know, it really ignited a fire within me that like allowed me to realize like, I'm not going to be here forever. What do I want to leave the earth with when I'm out of this plane of existence, you know, and it really put things in perspective for me. And, you know, what I choose to believe is my father is still here with me. I can feel him all the time when I'm at restaurants or, you know, uh, doing anything, I can feel his choices coming through me. You know, a funny example is we always went to breakfast together and he always get eggs Benedict and I would get like a basic breakfast and I always be like, oh, that looks gross. Like, why do you get that? You know, like poached eggs, ew. And literally a week after he passed, I went to breakfast with some friends and all of a sudden I wanted eggs Benedict. You know, and it wasn't that I wanted to remember my father and it was just like, I don't know, if like, it was like, I'm craving this, but I had never had it. So it was really interesting. And then, you know, he always got his um, strawberry sundaes with chocolate ice cream instead of vanilla. Well, you know, for me, now I only get my strawberry sundaes on the very rare occasion I do ice cream, you know, with chocolate ice cream. And it's like, I want it, like I crave it. So like those kind of things, you know, speak to um, the ancestral lineages between all of us and how we are all connected. And so it's one thing to hear you're all connected, but when you have the direct experience of it, it's a totally different thing. And so from there, I got into the industry, worked there for five years with over 5,000 medical patients, helping them with all ranges of holistic health and coaching and, you know, cannabis and everything like that. And at a certain point, we got taken over by a corporation, which was a blessing in disguise. At that point, I got into the victim mentality hard about, you know, oh, this place sucks now and all that stuff. But actually, it was great because I needed to move on. And I don't know how long I would have spent there if it weren't for that. So I'm very grateful that that corporation took over because it was not in alignment with my values surrounding cannabis whatsoever. 
So I went out to Las Vegas to find investors of my own and start my own dispensary. Uh, walked out of the belly of the beast with a lot more of those corporations. And uh, through another experience with MDMA, discovered I was interacting with cannabis unconsciously, which was a big shocker for me because I thought I knew everything about cannabis. But what I knew about it was the science side. I had no idea yet about the spiritual side. Like I had had the experiences, but I didn't know how to articulate them. And that was where my spiritual journey with cannabis really began because then everything started becoming unwound. I started realizing like, oh, wow, this isn't cannabis doing this to me. This is my personal pattern of numbing out the trauma surrounding my father's passing by using cannabis once per night. Because again, people might hear this and go, oh, we're using it all day, every day. It's like, no, I was using one bowl in a vaporizer of stuff I grew organically, but I was using it at the end of the day. I would go to this job that was out of alignment with me. I would get frustrated and build up all the motivation and inspiration I needed to make the change. And I would come home and be consoled by feminine medicine feel on vacation vibration, and then the cycle would just happen over and over. And so when I had this realization, I took accountability. That was the big changing factor there was right off the bat. I go, this is a me thing. This is not cannabis. I'm not going to blame the plant. You know, the plant is not inherently addictive. It's not inherently dependent forming. It's me. And it's my trauma that led me to find comfort in the feelings of comfort that cannabis brings forth. Cause that's really what it is, right? Like for people living in discomfort, Feelings of comfort are really addictive. And wherever you find those feelings of comfort, you will find a dependency with if you're living in that discomfort. And so that's really where it began. Uh, when I got home, I started highly optimized, had no idea what I was doing. I was just fully connected to my heart, knew I wanted to start the podcast, knew I needed to lead the company. So I took a trust fall, left the company, not having another job. Then the pandemic happened. And uh, it was the best two years ever of traveling, having experiences, meeting Paul Check. Uh, in person, you know, connecting with people like Aubrey. And it's just been a roller coaster ever since, man. So that's an expose. You know, we can dive into any part of it you want to, but that's the uh, the short of the long story. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, it's a wild ride and, a, you know, an epic journey of highs and lows. And, and it all leads you to exactly where you need to be. You know, one of my favorite lessons and, and teachings from Ram Das is, you know, where you're at is the lesson that you need to learn. And, mm -hmm. And I just, that always comes back to me. And when you're like, what the fuck am I doing here? You know, it's like, all right, wait a second. You know, this, this will lead me somewhere. This is, you know, taking me, taking me to a, to a higher place. I just gotta give it time and remember to be grateful. And uh, yeah, thank you. It's, thank you for sharing all that. Oh, you're welcome, man. And you know, it's like at the end of the day, you know, for anyone listening, like you can choose to not believe anything we're saying right now and think that life does happen to you. But guess what? If you want to believe that, sure, it might get you off the hook right now, but it's a falsehood. It doesn't actually get you off any hook. No one's going to be a bigger cheerleader for your life than you. So if you choose to believe life happens to you and you have no power, then guess what? Life's going to happen to you and you're going to have no power. But if you choose to take the trust fall and risk everything and believing that everything that is happening right now is happening for you, then you will start finding evidence for that. Because we're meaning making machines as human beings. So we'll find evidence for anything that's going on. So if you want to believe the earth is flat, well, then you'll probably look out over an ocean and go see it's flat. But if you look at it from an outside perspective, you'll say, Oh, it's round. Or you could actually say, Oh, it's a Taurus, right? So like, you know, we are the creators of our reality. And so like, with great power comes great responsibility. And I think a lot of people fail to realize that is that like, yeah, you can choose to believe you're the victim of your life, but no one's going to come save the day. So you better choose wisely. Right. <laughs> Yeah, every everything, whether it's it's you know a potentially good thing or or you know a bad thing, it's whatever 
whatever you see and how you perceive it is gonna it's gonna continue to show up and and just learning i'm learning about the reticular activating system right now and it's just like holy shit man every time i i think about it something you know what's what's important to me it's like oh there it is you know and uh, (laughs) yeah it's funny dude the reticular activating system is an interesting one too because you know if we think about how like there's there's levels to this shit right when it comes to like physical physical emotional mental and spiritual so i think like the reticular activating system is a physical way or maybe a scientific way to look at uh the idea of the law of attraction and maybe even getting into manifestation. And so like, I think a lot of people, they go, well, it's just science. It's just the, you know, reticular activating system. That's the only reason why you're seeing what you think you're seeing. It's like, okay, cool. If you want to believe that. But for me, what's more empowering is believing that, yes, we do have the system and it's great to look at it scientifically, but you can also look at it in a different way. That's full of mystery and awe. And even looking at it as the reticular activating system, how the hell did that thing come to be? It's still full of mystery. And I think that's the biggest thirst trap with science is a lot of people go, well, you know, dude, none of this stuff really exists. You can prove it all with science. It's like, oh, cool. Who invented science though? You know, like, why are we here on this planet? Do we know how the planet started? We have like this random idea that the big bang happened, but what's that? Can you explain that? It's like, you know, I think that a lot of people are stuck in this thirst trap of thinking that they need to have it all figured out without realizing that as the Bible states, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must first enter the mind of a child. Mm -hmm. And why is a child so happy all the time? they're not worried about what they fucking know or what they think they know. They're not worried about what people think of them. They're just having an experience. And I think that the first half of our life is about learning how to do taxes and like fit into the system, essentially. And then the second half is about learning to become a kid again, that can still do his taxes. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, I think that's like the funny analogy I use uh, in a lot of podcasts is like, you know, kids remind us that we are God we teach them how to do taxes does not seem like a fair trade-off you know (laughs) no not at all man um yeah there's there's so much that you pointed out in in your story that i i want to dive into um one of one of the things there's just so much stigma around cannabis and there's so many you know you mentioned like having anxiety when it's in reality it's it's you experiencing anxiety and um and you know addiction and um when it's it's not the cannabis plant that's addictive you know it's it's your habits and your your avoidance of of certain things that you're you're trying to to numb out and stuff um what are some other uh stigmas around cannabis that are just super you know in people's face right now that really need to be unraveled and just reconstructed and, mm. and for the betterment of, of human evolution? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think one of the main ones you'll hear a lot is, oh, like, you know, cannabis users are lazy, right? And so like, I think that this is once again, like people thinking that cannabis objectively makes you something. And so, you know, what I like to do is I like to control out delete things, you know, so the control delete for that is going, Okay, so is every single person that ever interacted with cannabis lazy? No. So what does that leave? Well, it leaves a subjective experience with cannabis where it heightens who you already are. So if you're lazy, well, then guess what? You're probably going to be lazy when you interact with cannabis. But if you're someone who likes working out, guess what? You're not going to stop loving working out because you interact with cannabis. So I think a lot of the times they once again, people put scapegoats into cannabis. You know, they use it as a scapegoat rather. 
you know, where it's a permission slip to be who they already are, but to blame it on something else, you know? So, well, I wouldn't be lazy, but this cannabis plant, oh, just, I just don't want to do anything. Well, why the fuck are you interacting with it when you have shit to do then? You know, it's like, you know, cannabis isn't there with a gun to your head telling you to interact with it. But I think a lot of people feel to take that ownership. The other thing too, and this is like, I don't hear this that much anymore, but it does come from me for madness is that cannabis users are dirty. You know, I don't mean dirty, like physically, like with dirt on you, but I mean, like they're dirty, they're manipulative. They're like, you know, um, uh, like any of that realm. And that's just simply not fucking true. You know, uh, for anyone listening who wants me to control delete this, what I will say is if you are in an argument with someone in the sober state of mind, and then you interact with cannabis, do you get angrier or dirtier or more manipulative? Or do you go, fuck? Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, even if you really feel it's not your fault, do you want to continue arguing? Do you want to continue like, like digging yourself a hole? Mm -hmm. Or do you want to just go, you know what, maybe I have, maybe I am playing a part in this too. Versus you're getting into the argument, you're angry, and then you drink a bottle of rum. What's going to happen then? Right? So I think a lot of people like, you know, I think what it is too, is that people are allowing the government which in my eyes is one of the least trustworthy organizations in the world to tell them what they should believe about cannabis, psychedelics, et cetera. And I think this is one of the beautiful things about the internet is that I think in a lot of the ways, uh, you know, these disempowering stories lost a lot of power when people were able to do their own research. But the challenge is a lot of people still aren't doing their own research. The same way that I said before, like, you don't believe anything I say, don't believe it. You know, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, you should take on my beliefs. This is my experience. This is what I've had, you know, with cannabis. And I think that, you know, the, the third one too, is that like, you know, with cannabis, uh, you're going to be a burnout, you know, and this is just completely fucking false too. Because at the end of the day, some of the most successful people I know are people that use cannabis a lot. And for me, like, you know, the amount I've done in the last three years, being able to interact with cannabis as a tool to optimize my life. But even when I was still using it unconsciously, I was working out seven days a week, working 50 hour weeks, uh, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, playing guitar, doing all my hobbies, hanging out with friends. Like, you know, again, it doesn't make you anything. Mm -hmm. You make you who you are. And so I think that like, they all go back to that, like, you know, that ethos statement, that foundational statement of like, you know, to the degree that you think that anything makes you something, you're just externalizing your power. Mm -hmm. And you're just giving yourself excuses to not become the version of you that you know you can be. And I think that when we start using cannabis in this other way that I'm speaking about, it can be an extremely powerful tool to start figuring out who am I? What legacy do I want to leave behind? What is my purpose? Like, what matters to me? What are my values? You know, like, a perfect example of this is like, you know, a lot of the times, even I can get sucked into the rat race, right? Of like business, I do my weeks completely sober. We can talk about that too, like my frequency of things, if you want to get into that later. But, you know, like I do my weeks sober. And so during that time, sometimes I'll get this, like this drive in me that like, you know, I'll just work till midnight every day. I'll just like crush it. I'll just like go powerhouse and thug it out and do it. And then on the weekends, when I interact with cannabis, I'll be reminded of like, dude, like, what are you so stressed out about? Like, why are you freaking out about this stuff? This is fun. Like, this is supposed to be fun. And also, why are you not making time in your calendar to hang with your friends and just sit around a fire and laugh? You know what I mean? Like, it taps me directly back into my values. 
and like who I actually want to be on a day-to-day basis. And then when you use it as a tool, you can go, I'm going to remember this. And then what you can do as a bonus is like, and this is what separates cannabis from other psychedelics is that if you're deep in a mushroom experience or LSD or fill in the blank here, it's really hard to integrate. Like if you get an awareness, right? Like, oh my God, it's hard to even go write it down, let alone take action on it right then. But say in that scenario, like I'm sitting around the fire and I'm like, man, I need more of this in my life. Well, I can take action right then, take up my phone and go, what night of the week do I want to do this? Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Boom, I'm hanging with friends. Hey guys, do you want to have a fire at 7 p.m. on Wednesday? Does that work for you guys? Great, awesome. Now it's on my calendar and I can start integrating that lesson I learned into my life right then. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what separates you know, unconscious use from conscious use is that unconscious, you're using the plant. Conscious use, you're connecting with it as a tool to optimize your life. Now, with regards to what it can optimize, you know, it can't directly make you more money, let's say, for instance, mm-hmm. but it can tap you into some of the ideas you have with regards to how maybe you can tap more into your purpose and maybe you can charge for that. You know, with relationships, it can teach you how to be a better listener. It can teach you how to be a better communicator. It can teach you how to be a better lover. It can teach you how to be a better friend, but only if you actually do the work because cannabis can show you the what, but it's up to you to figure out the how. That's your end of the bargain. You know, cannabis can illuminate, but if you don't actually take action, well, then it's just going to be a fainting dream, you know, or fading dream rather. And so I think it's important people recognize that, you know, I'm not coming on here saying that if you interact with cannabis, it'll fix all your life's problems. It won't. If anything, it'll illuminate all of them, which is why a lot of people face anxiety and paranoia with it. It's not that they're, it's not that cannabis is making them anxious or making them paranoid. It's that it's bringing forth what's already within them probably because they know they should be doing something different than they're doing, you know, and they're not taking action on something. So I think that's another thing too, is that cannabis makes me anxious or paranoid. It's like, it doesn't actually, it just brings forth what's already in you beneath your ego and default mode network that are quote unquote, protecting you from feeling the sensations that are undesirable, quote unquote, based on what you've learned to be desirable and undesirable with regards to feelings and emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so many of those things are just rooted in fear of not, you know, knowing what, what you can do with, with the conscious activity of it. And I, I love the language that you've been using around it, you know, transitioning Mm -hmm. from using, you know, you know, a lot of people like, I I can't not refer to cannabis as cannabis anymore. And I've been using that as a, as a long time, you know, the past few years, but you know, I, it, just drives me crazy when people call it pot and just call it, you know, these, these marijuana, it's like all these things, this language around it, considering it a drug and stuff. It's like, it has such a a bad, you know, structure to it when you're using this, this dirty language, basically of like, you know, it's putting, putting a bad taste in your mouth when you, when you use those words and changing it to interacting with cannabis, you know, like, and even the way you're referring to it is like referring to cannabis as its own separate being, not just a a specific, you know, a plant or an object that you're, you know, smoking and, you know, or eating a brownie, like you're interacting with a spirit and, and this is a relationship that can, you know, have so much potential to, to be a friend and to, to be a teacher. Yeah. And like, what is a relationship, right? It's a relational ship that can show you aspects of yourself because everything is a reflection, right? We're all walking each other home, Ramdas, right? And so if we even try that on, right? If we just go, okay, I'll experiment with that. Well, like, again, cannabis being a feminine plant, 
it is a little shy. So like, it's not going to show its full power to you if you're not asking for it. And so like week one of the program is the dieta. So this yeah, week is about I'm getting still in my dieta right now. And it's been, Dude. It's, it's been so powerful to, to take this break right now. Yeah. And like, this is the idea, right? For a lot of cannabis users, they've never thought about taking a break because they've never really known like, and to their credit, like, why would I take a break? No one's ever explained it to me. So what I'll do is I'll explain why this matters. So if you're someone out there who's been interacting with cannabis, like I was by the time I took a break every day, um, every night rather for about eight to 10 years. And I just never thought like taking a day off would make a big difference, right? I was only interacting one bowl a day. So what is besides, that really doing? Besides getting extra high the next time you smoke, yeah, you know, having a exactly, tolerance. exactly, yeah. exactly. But here's the thing, right? So let me lay out an analogy for you because I love analogies. So if you're with a romantic partner and you've been dating them for upwards of a year to 10 years, let's say, right? So if you live with them and you're around them all day, right? And you know, they, you wake up next to them every day. Maybe they make you your breakfast the same way every day. They give you the same kiss, you know, before you leave for work every day. Uh, they're there waiting for you when you come home or, you know, you're there waiting for them when they come home. It's really easy to forget how much that person means to you. But in the absence of that person, let's say, you know, they go away for a week long, uh, you know, boys or girls trip, basically, right? Depending on if you're a woman or man, listen to this and what, uh, you know, um, uh, sexuality you have. And so like, you know, in that first week, you might wake up at that first day and be like, Oh, cool, I got the house to myself, whatever, right. But if you really love that person, by the fourth day, you're gonna be like, fuck, I really miss the way they wake up next to me. I my life feels incomplete without that kiss before I go to work. I suck at making sweet potato hash the way my partner does. And this is actually my story, right? Because Rachel makes the best sweet potato hash. And every time I make it, it's just not the same thing, right. And so like, you know, it's in the absence of something that you truly figure out what you love about it and what it does for you. And if you take these regular breaks, you can continue diving deeper and deeper into what this thing, person, place, thing, entity, spirit allows for you to have in your life. And so like for me, maybe one week I take this break, which I do every week, Monday through Friday. And I do that based on uh, my own patterns, my own structure. It's not the right or wrong way. And, you know, this is a good place for me to say also like, I'm not here to tell anyone what, you know, how often they should interact with the plant, what is healthy and unhealthy. These are things for you to come to yourself, but I'm here to give you ideas or rather ideas on what you can try out and see if it works for you. And so for me, when I take these breaks Monday through Friday and I go completely abstinent from cannabis, you know, maybe that previous weekend, I learned that, you know, I needed to listen better to Rachel when she was talking, maybe I was trying to fix everything like I was saying before. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to integrate that. Right. And so then I'm listening, but I'm finding myself like getting pulled out of my phone. Right. And just like trying to numb out with like looking at Instagram or something, or just distract myself. So then the next week I dive in on the weekend, I dive into like, okay, cannabis. Now what I realize is you actually really help me not only listen, but you help me stay undistracted. So like this next week, um, like, like in this ceremony, show me, help me and teach me of why I'm getting so distracted and why I'm choosing to distract myself when my partner's talking to me. So then some download comes through and I go, okay, okay. So then the next week I integrate that. But then I start realizing that I'm maybe trying to rush her off the phone, right? So the next week I'm like, oh my God, cannabis. You don't only help me listen. You don't only help me not be distracted and distract myself. 
but you also help me want to like engage with people mm. and like really be there for them. So you can see how like every week I'm discovering a deeper layer of what this plant does for me mm -hmm. and what it allows me to learn. And it's the same thing as like, you know, if you go to a class in school and, uh, and you know, you're in algebra one, let's say, right. And so you're learning algebra one and you're moving through the class and, you know, at a certain point, you maybe you have a really good teacher and you take this teacher for granted and so then you're like you know what i can start skipping this class i don't really need it anymore you know well after the first test comes back when you've been skipping classes you realize oh shit i guess i got an f on it i really need to listen to this teacher more right then you start listening more then maybe you start noticing like you're listening you're in class but you're kind of distracted still right maybe you're talking to people in class things like that then you get a, a grade back of a D, you're like, shit, I still got some stuff to work on, right? So you can see the analogy here of like, how if you if you're around a teacher, and you take them for granted enough, you're going to forget that what they're actually doing for you. And mm -hmm. so it's in the absence of that teacher, that you realize, oh, shit, maybe I do need them, or maybe you don't need them, right? Like, maybe there's a time where you can get the message and hang up the phone for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, there's times where I go weeks or months without cannabis, because I'm just not feeling the time is right. But here's the thing too. So I've been talking closely with Hamilton Souther, who's an ayahuasca and a true cannabis shaman. He's trained 20 plus years in the Amazon. He's the real deal, right? He's not one of these sham mans that went to Burning Man once and now is a shaman. He's like the real, real deal. And what he's saying is something that I intuitively downloaded from the cannabis plant uh, about three years ago, which was, you know, it's almost like, I don't mean to keep bringing up Bible quotes. I'm not Christian, but I just know good lines when I hear it. But it's like, you know, um, uh, something along the lines, I'll probably butcher the quote, but it's like, you know, I am with you all the time. You know, you don't need to necessarily, I think kind of the gist of it was you don't need to be in a church. You don't need to be in any of these places. I'm with you always. Mm -hmm. And so with cannabis, you know, I believe I don't have scientific evidence to back this up, but what I believe from my own experience and what Hamilton uh, validated for me too, is that when you're taking these plants into you, they become a part of you. And like he was saying last night on the call we had, you know, you could say, yes, it's getting stored in your fat cells. So therefore the plant's still with you or, you know, any of these things. But at the same time, you know, shamans look at this as like the plant is with you. Once you commune with that plant, mm -hmm. that is with you. And it's kind of the same way that if you date someone, well, even if you guys break up, you're never the same again, right? You had that experience and that experience shifted you and changed things. And so it's really fascinating to get into these realms and realize that we're only starting to scratch the surface of this whole other side of looking at plant medicines, looking at ourselves, everything, which could be said as scientifically as the right brain, spiritually as spirituality, you know, but I think that we're going through a really uh, wild time right now. And I'm so grateful to be alive during this time. Because, you know, I don't think there's ever been a time in history where more at least, you know, in this meat suit, anyway, that you know, things have shifted as fast as they're shifting, that people are waking up, that people are starting to stop buying the bullshit being fed to them. And I think that these plants can be great teachers to be able to start allowing us to use proper discernment in tapping into our clair senses, our intuitive nature, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, claircognizance. So that if someone goes, trust the science, you can go, that doesn't feel right to me, you know, and then you can realize to go on that thread, that science is the process of questioning forever. There's never a point where you should just blatantly trust science. And mm -hmm. so you'll realize, as I know we've talked about, I imagine many of your listeners resonate with this. I won't go into specific details, but I imagine everyone listening can understand what I mean, that there's been a lot of trust this, trust that the past three years. And there's been certain people who have trusted that. That's all good. That's your right as a sovereign being. But there are also equally as many people who have said, I'm not going to trust that. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's ever been a time in history where there's been a bigger divide with regards to that, where some people saying, yes, I'm doing this. And some people saying, no, I choose to not do that. And it's an interesting correlation I've noticed in working with hundreds of clients on this, traveling around the world, you know, meeting a lot of people that the people that said yes, more often than not, are living in a very big state of fear right now. And the people that said no, are very empowered. It does not mean that they think nothing bad is going to happen. But they're like, hey, whatever happens is meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I think that side is what I like more because that side is synonymous with freedom to me. And freedom is one of my three core values that is so important to me. If I don't feel free in my personal life, my relationships, my business, I'm not doing it. You know, and so I think that's really important, you know, to be able to understand like, what do you stand for? You know, what are your values? And then being able to, if plant medicines like cannabis, you know, if they feel right for you, go into it. If not, awesome. There's many other rivers that can get you there. You know, I think that cannabis and psychedelics are definitely not for everyone, but they are for a lot of people. And I think those people, you know, if you're listening to this right now and you are one of those people, try this stuff out, be your own scientist and see if this works for you. And if it doesn't, hey, no big deal. You didn't, you maybe wasted a night of your life and that's it. But if it does, man, you can really start up leveling your life very quickly. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And, you know, like you said earlier, um, like you don't need to have all these, these plants to have a psychedelic experience, just being a human, having a conscious, you know, thought is a psychedelic experience in and of itself by, you know, by having these, just whatever, whatever we're doing right now, you know, something's happening, things are, things are moving through me and, and I'm processing and, and integrating. And it's, you know, and having these tools to, to be able to, to kind of step back and, and like cannabis, such a, a gentle, you know, plant medicine where it's, it's something that when you take the break and you can come back with a little bit more intention, it's, it's just so much, so powerful. It is man. And, you know, I love what you touched on there too, about, you know, going uh, deeper into this psychedelic experience of being a human being. I think that when we look at children, once again, I already said the Bible quote, I won't say it again. But, uh, you know, why are they so happy all the time? Not all the time, they, they go through their range of emotions. But why are they so like, just they don't need a, you know, especially when you're younger, I don't know now, because cell phones not, a, a, not attached to, you know, any, any given experience. Yeah. And they're like enamored, they're in awe of life right? Like they're seeing a tree and they're like, but this is a different tree than I've ever seen before. So even though I've seen trees, I'm still shocked because this one's different. But then what do we do as we get older? We go, well, a tree is just wood and it just grows in the ground. And oh, that's an oak tree. That's a maple tree. So we start labeling everything. Mm -hmm. And as a result, we end up living more in the left brain and we start, you know, uh, compartmentalizing everything. And I think that's a really big thirst trap to use that term again, because Uh, At the end of the day, this is what psychedelics can do. And other things can definitely lead you there. And I'll expand on that in a second. But first time you take mushrooms, you'll go look at a tree and be like, oh my God, this is a tree. Wait, what is a tree? What is wood? What is bark? What is grass? And all of a sudden you're like, I don't know anything. Oh my God, this is amazing. Where are we? What's the sky? And now you're in the mind of a kid again. And I think that, you know, while psychedelics are one way to get there, another way to do it completely sober is by following your heart. Now that can be a slippery slope because if you're not actually sure how to tap into your heart, you know, tapping into your heart is not something you do. It's something you become. 
And I think it happens as a result of following whatever the clues are, the breadcrumb trails that, you know, are connected to your soul. And so like, for instance, maybe you experience a wild synchronicity. And in that moment, you're like, Oh my God, how did that happen? It's like, what does this mean? And then boom, you're having a psychedelic experience mm -hmm. with no psychedelics added. I remember one time I was at a music festival and uh, I actually was on a psychedelic, but uh, you know, this is a perfect example because I've had many examples like this that did not happen with psychedelics, but I'll say this one because it's one of the craziest ones. I was at a music festival, one we both know well and good, Electric Forest. And I was, of course, in Michigan. I'm from Boston. So I've met some other Massachusetts people there. No big deal. But uh, we're back at our tent and, uh, you know, our canopy. And this guy walks by and he goes, hey, you guys are from Massachusetts because our cars are parked right next to the tent. He goes, cool. Whereabouts are you from a mass? I'm from mass too. I'm like, oh, sick, dude. And I tell him my town name. He's like, oh, I'm from that town too. And I'm like, cool. What part of it? Because we have like three different parts of this town. And he says my part, like my area of that town. And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, what street? He says my street name. And I'm like, holy shit, dude. So we're talking, to put this in perspective, I am halfway across the country in a music festival with 50,000 people. I'm at this certain place in this gigantic music festival. This guy happens to walk by and he lives not only in my state, not only in my town, not only on, and on my street, right? So like, these are the kind of things where you just go, that the chances of that happening by chance are like one in a billion, right? So then you have it once and you're like, maybe it was just chance, right? So then you start having these other things happen. Like one time, completely sober, my buddy Paul Check introduces me to this guy. And this guy's like, oh my God, founder of Paleo Valley, Matt Smith. He's like, oh man, do you come out to Washington at all? I'm like, yeah, my business partner lives in Oregon. He's like, cool, I'll send you my address. Next time you're out here, come visit me. I'm like, cool. Sends you his address, Sprague Street. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Right? So like, these are the weird things that happen. I've had some other wild ones happen recently that, okay, so I was on the vineyard uh, last week, Martha's Vineyard. And uh, for anyone that doesn't know, it's an island off the coast of uh, Massachusetts. I go there every year with Rachel and her family. And I've always tried to get my friends to come, but they live all over the country, right? So I hosted a men's retreat there last year. It was super fun. But anyway, we didn't really tell anyone we were going because we just knew all of our friends are doing cool shit. They're busy, yada, yada. So I'm walking down the street one day, right? on the main dragon town in Oak Bluffs. And uh, all of a sudden I'm looking down, kind of like talking to Rachel, looking at my feet. And all of a sudden, boom, two feet land in front of me. Now, I don't know what the fuck, who this person is, whatever. I look up and it's my buddy, Matt Shiver, who's from Austin, Texas. And he's like, dude, what the hell? And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, why are you here? And he's like, dude, I'm with my girlfriend. She's showing me all these places. She used to vacation. I'm like, what? So I think that's crazy. Then later on that night, Rachel and I actually literally from there, we walked down to the Thai food place talking 20 minutes later i'm like man that was crazy so cool seeing matt we're actually going to austin next week so it was like wild i was like i'll see you there so we go to this thai food place and uh we sit down we end up talking to this guy this guy sits down next to us starts talking and like we just have this beautiful conversation with him awesome right and then we get home and rachel gets a text from her friend kim uh who works in unlifted and she gets a, she shows me the text that kim got and uh the text reads whoa, is Rachel and her man in the vineyard right now? I feel like I just saw them at this Thai food place, but I was too nervous to say anything. I didn't know if it was them. I'm like, yo, what is happening right now? The weirdest stuff happens, right? So like, those are the experiences that for me, I think the universe is an eternal child. You can call it God, whatever you want to call it. And I think it's just playing one big game of warmer, colder with us. 
And I think it's really that simple. And so when we're getting synchronicities, it shows us you're on the path, keep going, follow this thread. And when you're failing down and out and frustrated and whatever, it's just a clue to stop what you're doing, take a step back and reevaluate, and then like tap into your heart and then move forward from what your heart's telling you. I think it can be that simple, dude. That's my theory. <laughs> I I think you you're you're onto something because and they're they're everywhere. Those those synchronicities are are everywhere, you know, and you just need to like be open to receiving them. And 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 then you can, you know, you know, those those interactions are are interesting too, because it's like two separate humans having these these coincidences, and they're not coincidences, right? They're their specific, you know, meetings in time and space that are happening, you know, which yes. is even crazier. And then, but there's also just the random things where you're walking down the street and, you know, you, you see a specific sign that, you know, tells you to turn right instead of turning left. And then next thing, you know, like just that one specific thought and, and now you're, you're doing, doing something that, completely changed your life and it's yeah you meet someone new that then becomes your wife later on you know like who knows what happens right but like that is the mystery and i think that as you start realizing i don't care to know anything i'm just here to be a curious observer more of those start coming out at least in my experience you know and i think those are the psychedelic experience in and of itself that can happen when you're just following your heart you know and so i think what psychedelics are here for is simply to remind us to tap us out of the matrix for a couple hours or maybe a day, depending on what medicine you're doing and just allow us to reevaluate and like, just check our path, right? It's almost like we're in a video game and we can hit the pause screen for a second. And remember that we're not the video game we're the person playing the video game, you know? And I think that's kind of like what I've noticed in my life is like, you know, am I orienting myself as the player in the video game or the person who's playing the video game? You know, I think that makes a big difference because again, if you're playing the person in the video game and like, say you're playing, I'm going to pull out a super non-woke video game here. Say you're playing Grand Theft Auto, right? And you're so enamored in the game that you smash into another car and you get all upset because your car got damaged. But you realize in that moment, like, wait a minute, this is just my car in a video game. I'm fine. Like, I don't need to get frustrated over this, right? Like that's the distinction might be a silly analogy, but that's like the one that came to me in the moment. So it's just so fascinating to do. These are the things I love talking about. <laughs> it is. I mean, and it's, it's that simple. You're just, you just have to, you know, take that breath, take that step back and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> what the fuck's going on? What am I thinking here? You know? Yeah. Dude. Um, <laughs> well, there's, there's one question I'd like to ask you before we hop off. We've been, we've been running it and we've been going in. Um, one thing that someone to soul mountain, you know, soul is kind of my reference to God and to source and, and just full potential as, as a human and as an experience as a psychedelic experience. Um, so I'm curious what soul means to you. Hmm. That's a great question. Soul is trying to figure out the way I say this. So if God or source what I choose to believe is the all, then the soul is the direct emanation, the individual expression of that source energy embodied in the human or otherwise um, uh, earthly form. And by yeah. earthly form, I actually don't just mean on the earth because you follow what mystery school says, when our physical body dies, our soul continues evolving. So it's almost like it's, it is the aspect of source or God or whatever you want to call it that is here to evolve itself so that source can better know itself. 
Mm. And I think that's what soul means to me. Very interesting. Mm. I love that. It's ever evolving. You know, I, I like to, to refer to, you know, I'm a mountaineer, so always, always climbing mountains. And there's, when you get to one peak, there's always another mountain to climb. You're like, what the fuck is over there? You know, yeah, just, dude. you know, soul is, soul is ever, you know, evolving and that's, that's really beautiful. Well, there's like an analogy I heard one time that really like helped me formulate it. So if you think about the idea of the physical body, spirit, and the soul, you can think about it like a computer. So the physical body is the actual computer. The soul is like the, the programs on that computer that allow the, pro, the computer to actually work. And spirit is the power coming in that actually lights the entire computer up. And so that was the way that was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense, you know? And so I think like, you know, the soul is like the, the programs and patterns and like who we are as an individual, you know? And I think the spirit is what like actually powers us and the physical body is what we get to experience life in. It's really cool, man. <laughs> so cool, man. Wild, wild ride. So wild, dude. One more synchronicity I had real quick that uh -huh. I just remembered because uh, this was in a completely sober state too. So I want to make sure I give some sober examples. So I was working with a psychic. I've been working with her for the last 13 weeks. And I got one more appointment before our training's done. And uh, one of our first trainings, uh, we were going to meet up. We were going to meet up with my power animals. So we go up into the, you know, into the spirit realm, uh, into the realm of the ascended masters, all these different places, seven spiritual dimension. And uh, we were going to meet my power animals. So uh, me, I'm not too skeptical, but like my analytical mind is still a thing. So I'm like, this is my, one of my first appointments. I'm like, thinking I'm getting there, but I don't really know, like, you know, am I there? Am I not? Am I just making this up? So she's like, what do you see? And I was like expecting, of course, being a guy, a lion, you know, a tiger or something like that. It's almost never that. So I started seeing this thing and I'm like, is that a peacock? And she's like, yeah, yeah. Peacock's a power animal. I'm like, yeah, I'm seeing a peacock. I start with the feathers. So I have this deck called the animal spirit deck. I actually brought it um, yep. to the men's retreat. I pulled the turtle. Yeah, dude. You know? And so it's one of my favorite decks and for anyone listening, highly recommend checking it out by Kim Kranz. It's like so much fun if you're interested in tarot and stuff like that. And so uh, after the call, I knew I'm like, I'm going to take out the animal spirit deck and I'm going to pull the peacock. It was just this deep feeling in me that I was going to do it. Now there's like hundreds of cards in this deck. Mm -hmm. So I shuffle them. I lay them all out of my bed and I just go through clip a card, pull it out, peacock, first try. Fucking crazy, dude. You know, like, how do they know that beforehand? How do they know that? Is it really that crazy? Or is it just that we've gotten so far from our innate nature that we think that's crazy? That's mm -hmm. like one of the things I've been thinking about recently. You know, is that like, if you told someone 3000 years ago about that, would they be like, so? Like, that's yeah, not weird at all. Like, duh, you know, but we're like, how oh, does that happen? You know, and I think that's like, goes to show like, how far we've gone in the technology without like, we almost put the cart before the horse, right? Like we're creating all this technology, but you know, like for instance, computers are great, but they're creating, creating EMFs that are annihilating our ore and biofield. So it's just so interesting, dude. So I wanted to throw out an analogy because I remember that one. Yeah, that is, that is wild. We, we just totally put aside the fact that we're creating our reality as we're, you know, experiencing it. It's just like a simultaneous yes. thing that as you're experiencing it, you're also creating it. And it's, yes. it's just absolutely wild. It's so cool. Dude, I forgot one more thing too. So that peacock thing, right? I thought that was crazy. I go on uh, my Monday meeting with Alex and the team. And I'm like, oh my God, guys, you're never going to imagine what happened yesterday. And so I tell Alex and he's got a shitty grin. I'm like, hey, dude, why do you got the grin, right? And he's like, dude, 
I pulled a card for you a week ago and it was the fucking peacock card. I'm oh, like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, like, it's <laughs> just like, that's how it happens, dude. So yeah, I want to throw that. I forgot that too. <laughs> Multi-dimensional, you know, dude, it's crazy. It's like time paradox, you know, Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> if anyone's played that game, you'll get it. <laughs> wow, man. Well, brother, um, how can, uh, how can everybody contact you, reach you, discover you? What's what's the deal? Yeah, dude. Uh, so for anyone looking to dive into my world, uh, Instagram is the best place to find me. I'm on there quite frequently. My personal account is the real Ryan Sprague uh, at, at on Instagram. Funny thing about that too. You want to talk about another synchronicity? Think about this for a second, right? Because they just keep coming out now, remembering all of them. <laughs> so I made that name jokingly. You know, like the real Ryan Sprague. Now, obviously, there's other Ryan Sprague's out there, but I never thought that the other Ryan Sprague out there that I would find is so similar to me. So I'm going to read you his IMDb profile. Ryan Sprague is a lead investigator and co-host of Mysteries Decoded and a regular on Ancient Aliens. Oh, my God. Are you fucking kidding me, right? So anyway, I'll suffice to say, that's another whole rabbit hole we can dive into. But Have you met you this guy? Have you talked to him? Dude, I haven't, but my plan is to get him on the podcast extremely soon and just like the, open the it up. World, the world might just like... I know, implode, <laughs> dude. I know. Because like, we didn't even get into it, but like, guys, for those listening, I am obsessed with Atlantis, Lemuria, ancient aliens, like just the biggest woo-woo stuff you can possibly imagine. So when I found that, I was like, first of all, how the fuck have I not seen this guy on that show? Second of all, like, what the hell is that? So I can't wait to have a conversation with him and be like, dude, this is so weird. Like now presenting Ryan Sprague, you know, just like the weirdest thing. Holy shit. Yeah, dude. But you can find me on Instagram, the real Ryan Sprague. Uh, sorry to that other Ryan Sprague. I did not know you existed <laughs> when I made that. Um, but the business profile is at highly.optimized. So if you want more tips, I'm also giving them my personal profile, but if you want to stay up to date on our podcast releases, um, you know, little tips and tricks for cannabis, you can hop over to there. I also do have two podcasts, uh, the highly optimized podcast, which showcases conscious leaders living a life beat to their own drum. It's a hero's journey podcast. And the, this one time on psychedelics podcast, which dives into true firsthand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place in the ever-expanding world of plant medicines. And then, of course, if you're interested in taking a deep dive into my world, the Conaco Cannabis Program is fucking incredible. It's a 12-week certification program where we dive into the science, the spirituality, and the uh, and the facilitation of uh, medical cannabis and also uh, recreational cannabis, because that's how I like to uh, you know rephrase that word. And so that's a good way you can uh, take some of my trainings. And then we have Grow With Cannabis coming out soon for those of you who are looking to cultivate your own medicine and uh, take yourself out of the matrix with regards to having to buy overpriced, uh, traumatized cannabis from big dispensaries. This is a skill set you can learn and use forever and also go out and teach other people how to do it too. And so those are the ways you can find me. And uh, thank you again for this, man. This has been an amazing deep dive and I've had a fucking blast Absolutely. in here. And I hope you guys listen and have enjoyed it too. Fun. Yeah, dude. right on, brother. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. I, I, there's so much that I would love to continue this conversation, and so many other topics that, uh, yeah, you know, we'll definitely have to to do this again sometime. Hell yeah, dude! I'm ready for round two whenever you are, dude. Let's bang, right on, brother. <laughs> Cheers. Hell yeah, much love. Aho, aho. So much fun and such a great conversation to hear my brother Ryan's story in all the powerful potentials to consciously connect with cannabis. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate it, leave a comment, and uh, I will see you next time. Big love, my friends.